0: Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine, with your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Friday, April 14th, 2023. It's been 3,334 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 415 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, Some housekeeping. Due to the volume of content in the situation report, today's episode will be released in two parts. The first part will contain the daily assessment and regional updates, and the second will cover theater wide updates, war crimes, and geopolitical and economic news. Let's start part one with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, Ukrainian forces have started to set conditions for an upcoming counteroffensive that will start in the next 14 to 28 days dependent on the weather. Second, the fallout from the security breach at Otis Air National Guard base in Sandwich, Massachusetts, where an airman with the Massachusetts National Guard allegedly removed and intentionally distributed over 300 secret and top-secret documents, will reach the highest levels of the Pentagon. Third, we believe a large-scale Russian missile strike between April 14th and April 22nd remains possible. Fourth. The Russian VKS and naval forces are experiencing a critical shortage of precision munitions, with the Russian Air Force relying on GLONASS-guided glide bombs to attack border regions of Ukraine. This can go without saying going forward. Fifth, the Russian Federation Armed Forces are combat ineffective and have exhausted their combat potential except in the Bakhmut operational area. Sixth, we maintain the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut has reached its final phase— and Ukrainian forces are executing a planned retrograde operation. Seventh, Russian forces are experiencing a theater-wide shortage of non-precision artillery munitions, particularly anti-tank guided missiles or ATGMs. Eighth, we maintain that short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, also known as seaburn weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of the cost. And finally, Russian white nationalism connected to the Russian Orthodox Church and senior policymakers within Russian President Vladimir Putin's orbit are fueling religious and racial tension that is accelerating in the North Caucasus. One year ago yesterday, on April 13, 2022, the Black Sea Fleet flagship, Moskva, A Slava-class missile cruiser was hit by two Ukrainian Neptune missiles causing multiple explosions and fires burning out of control, forcing the crew to abandon ship. The vessel rolled on its port side and sank several hours later. The number of dead among the crew of almost 500 is officially unknown, but ranges from dozens to over 200. In Mariupol, the siege entered its 43rd day, with Russian forces capturing the Ilyich metal plant. Between 30 and 50 marines with the Ukrainian 36th Naval Infantry Brigade surrendered. Members of the Azov Battalion, who were cut off from the main force of Ukrainian defenders, staged a breakthrough of Russian defensive lines and reached Azovstal. If you're looking for more information about that breakthrough and the defense of Azovstal in general, you should watch Yulia's Tougher Than Steel Defenders of Ukraine playlist on YouTube. That's Y-E-W-L-E-E-A. And you should definitely watch all of the interviews. In Kharkiv, a 13-kilometer-long convoy of Russian military vehicles was stuck between Kupiansk and Izum. In the Donbass, occupation leaders used forced conscription to create the 103rd, 109th, 113th, 125th, and 127th motor regiments, which were all understaffed. Russian units in Voliki, Russia, who were sent for consolidation and resupply from Belarus, were reactivated into Ukraine with no support. Reportedly, Russia's supreme commander for forces in Ukraine, General Alexander Dvornikov, was given a deadline of May 9th, that's Victory Day, to capture Luhansk and Donetsk. Our team prophetically wrote in the Situation Report, Ukrainian forces defending the western region of the Donetsk Oblast and the southern part of the Kharkiv Oblast may be overrun in a large-scale offensive. Still, Russia is incapable of holding territorial gains with its available resources, we maintain that the pending battle for the control of eastern Ukraine will be a bloody quagmire for the Russian military. End quote. Let's get some regional updates, starting in the Donbas region with Luhansk. The operational tempo in Luhansk continues to slow, with a spokesperson for Operational Command East, or OKE, Colonel Sergei Cherevati, saying that there were 337 artillery, mortar, and rocket strikes from Berestova at the luhansk kharkiv administrative border to Bilohorivka in Luhansk. In a sign that Russian combat strength has reached a critical state, chechen Ahmad forces, which usually serve as blocking troops, and Rosguardia in the third echelon, have been moved to the front lines. In the Svatova operational area, The Svatova Region Psychiatric Hospital in Sosnovy was hit by three rockets fired by HIMARS, targeting the boiler house. We had previously reported that the facility had been turned into barracks for Russian troops at the start of 2023. Officials with the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, did not report any casualties. The LNR Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or JCCC, reported the town of Troitske on the Russian P-66 highway ground line of communication – called a glock. that's a supply line – between Valyky, Russia, and Svatova, was hit by two rockets fired by HIMARS. In the Kremina operational area, mercenary millblogger Wargonzo reported a Ukrainian offensive in the direction of Krivoshivka, which reached the P-7 highway. In our assessment, they are likely referencing the video which showed a failed Russian advance on Novoselivskye that resulted in the destruction of Russian tanks west of Krivoshivka on the same road. Wargonzo also claimed that Russian forces attempted to advance in the direction of Makievka and Nevsky without success. Further south, Wargonzo claimed there was continued positional fighting in the forested areas west of Kremina in the directions of Torske and Yampolivka with no change to the line of conflict. South of Dibrova, the Russian VKS destroyed the 500 kilovolt substation complex using Fab 500 SE GLONASS-guided glide bombs. An unnamed spokesperson for the Luhansk Oblast reported fighting in the same area. Positional fighting was also reported in the Serebriansky woods closer to the Siversky Donets River. The LNR JCCC reported that Rubizhne was hit by rockets fired by HIMARS twice in 40 minutes. The first strike was by eight rockets, and the follow-on attack involved four more. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported continued fighting in the area of Bilohorivka, still the one in Luhansk, with no change in the situation. <laughs> In northeast Donetsk in the Bakhmut operational area, multiple sources walked back prior claims of Russian successes. However, the situation for Ukrainian forces remains critical, and they are continuing a retrograde operation to the train tracks. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported their forces completed 57 fire missions in the operational area, and the VKS and Army Aviation completed 12 ground attack sorties. Northwest of Bakhmut, Russian VDV units continued attacks on Bokhtarivka and Khromov, but could not maintain the same intensity executed on April 12th. There was no change to the line of conflict. Despite claims that the T-506 highway G-lock is severed, a Russian source claimed that the Ukrainian 227th Battalion, 127th Brigade, rotated to Yar and was replaced by a fresh but unspecified unit. In the northern part of Bakhmut, there have been no claims of Russian forces capturing School 24. A geolocated video released by PMC Wagner showed Ukrainian troops being shelled just east of Rose Alley on Oborony Street. Based on the visual intelligence from a Russian source, we moved the line of conflict two blocks west, expanding the area of Ukrainian control. We do not believe that this represents new territorial gains. Russian mercenary mill blogger Raibar repeated claims that Alley had been fully captured and PMC Wagner had advanced two to three blocks south. At the time of recording, there is no evidence to support this. Rather, Wargonzo and Ukrainian source Deep State reported that fighting continued around Rosalie. In the center of Bakhmut, Rybar reported that railroad stations 1 and 2, the Grain Elevator and the Transit Hotel are under Ukrainian control we do not have any insight into the status of the state police station. The Russian MOD reported continued fighting in the, quote, central quarters of the city and made no claims of territorial gains. Russian sources claim Ukrainian forces reportedly maintain control of the central bus station on Kozmanoftov Street adjacent to Verkney Park. Ukrainian forces are west of Kovalska Street, with Russian millbloggers complaining that Ukrainian forces waited for PMC Wagner mercenaries to occupy a high-rise building adjacent to Inosevnik University and setting off fixed charges, collapsing the building and killing and wounding the Russian forces occupying it. How very dare they employ strategy. Russian sources were circulating a video of PMC Wagner mercenaries holding a flag, claiming it was proof the Central District was fully captured. The image was geolocated to the building adjacent to the Bakhmut administration building, 500 meters from the Bakhmutovka River, and a kilometer from Railroad Station 1. This area has been under PMC Wagner's control for almost two weeks. After Deep State's gloomy April 11th report, the Ukrainian source wrote, quote, The enemy, he means Russia, continues its assaults but only has success on Telegram, end quote. A geolocated video showed Russian forces being attacked by artillery at Avantgard Stadium, providing confirmation the Ukrainian hardpoint is under PMC Wagner's control. Based on this intelligence, we adjusted the map and moved the line of conflict to Kovalska Street. Russian reports that Ukrainian defenses on Korsumskoho Street have been breached and PMC Wagner mercenaries have reached Tchaikovsky Street are false. Rybar reported that Schools 2 and 40 and the MiG-17 area remain under Ukrainian control due to the strong, quote, fortress maintained by the ever-impressive 93rd Motor Infantry Brigade. An over two-minute-long geolocated video showed Ukrainian-aligned Chechen fighters with the Sheikh Mansur Battalion walking from the apartment buildings north of School 40 almost to Korsenskoho Street. The area has been heavily shelled since the White Angels evacuated three people and two wounded Ukrainian soldiers on April 9th. There is no sound of small arms fire or artillery, and the squad of Ukrainian troops appears relaxed. A separate video from PMC Wagner shows the area around School 40 being heavily shelled, further reinforcing that Russian troops have not breached Ukrainian defensive lines. At this point, travel on the T-504 Highway G-Lock is likely extremely dangerous, if not impossible. There were no reports of significant fighting north of Ivanivsky for the second day in a row. Assessment here? While pmc Wagner and the Russian MOD appear to have called a truce in their political war, we are seeing little evidence that Russian Airborne or VDV units are doing much fighting on the northern or southern flanks after they failed to advance on April 12th. As previously noted, the Kremlin prefers to use proxy forces and indigenous units from the 1st and 2nd Army Corps to mask casualties and avoid financial liability for survivor and veteran benefits. While Yevgeny Prigozhin may believe he's scored a political win, we see no evidence that the Kremlin has stopped its efforts to render the Wagner Group impotent and eliminate a broader threat from so-called Turbo Patriot Prigozhin and his political supporters. We maintain that Moscow, with the backing of Prigozhin, will not stop their attacks on Bakhmut, even if Ukraine were to launch its spring counteroffensive until the city is captured and brought under military control. In the Kostyanthonivka direction, Russian VDV forces attempted to improve their positions west of the Siversky Donetsk Donbass Canal with an attempted advance on Pretechne. They were about as effective as PMC Wagner has been over the past three months, which is to say, they were unsuccessful. In southwest Donetsk, the Institute for the Study of War confirmed our earlier assessment that Russian military commanders pulled resources, particularly armored vehicles, artillery, and ammunition, from the Avdiivka operational area to Bakhmut. This provides additional validation to our long-standing assessment that Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and have exhausted their combat potential. In the Avdyevka operational area, a geolocated video showed that Russian forces had captured a series of trenches on the tree line adjacent to the H-20 highway west of Novobakhmutivka. Based on this information, we moved the line of conflict west and expanded the gray area in the direction of Stepova. Russian forces continued attacks in the direction of Avdyevka from Opitne and Krutabalka without success. There have been no claims of attempted attacks from the Vesele area for several days. Fighting continued between Russian and Ukrainian armored units in the no-man's land between Vodyana and Syevrne, with Russian armored vehicles destroyed and ground forces retreating. Positional fighting in the eastern part of Pervomaiske continued, and Russian forces continued their attacks on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevoskei. In the Marinka operational area, fighting was positional but intense in the ruins of Marinka along what was Druzhby Avenue. Russian forces attempted to advance toward Pobida in an overnight attack without success. In the Vuhledar operational area, yet another Russian attack east of Novomikhailivka, unsuccessful. Moving on. In the southern part of Pavlivka, Ukrainian drone operators continue to attack Russian positions, destroying three armored vehicles and a truck full of ammunition using a drone-delivered IED. In Russian-occupied Khorlivka, the mayor appealed to the community to assist in locating missing children and teens. He reported that some of the missing had engaged in online chats of a sexual nature with unknown parties and then disappeared. Moving on to Zaporizhia. In the Orehiv operational area, a Ukrainian kamikaze drone destroyed a Russian BMP Infantry Fighting Vehicle, or IFV, on the T-408 highway north of Robotene. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, released an update on the status of the Zaporizhia Nuclear Power Plant, or ZNPP. The facility is still powered by a single 750-kilovolt power line, quote, with Ukraine saying military action is preventing its experts from safely accessing the location situated in territory it controls, end quote, to repair the damaged 330-kilovolt line in the Nikopol-Rayon, according to IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi. He added, quote, Underlining the crucial need for an agreement to protect Europe's largest nuclear power plant during the military conflict, IAEA experts present at the site continue to regularly hear shelling in the area. Near the plant itself, two landmine explosions occurred outside its perimeter fence, first on April 8th and another four days later. End quote. Energoatom reported the blast on April 12th occurred near the control room of Reactor 4, and Rosatom confirmed to IAEA inspectors it was a landmine detonation for unknown reasons. Plant operators will be moving Reactor 6 to cold shutdown due to warmer weather and less need for steam generation. Additionally, the nine mobile boilers brought to ZNPP to prevent pipes from freezing and other equipment damage have already been shut down, and the rest will be deactivated in the coming days. According to the IAEA, the staffing situation at ZNPP remains complex and challenging. Over a third of the original staff of over 10,000 have left the area, some of those remaining have signed work contracts under a newly formed Russian operating organization, and some remain employed by Energoatom. A significant number of the latter are now on call, with the rest, mainly key operating staff, still working at the ZNPP under the direction of Russian-appointed management. Grossi also expressed deep concern about a large troop buildup in the plant area reiterating that combat should not be fought for control of ZNPP. Russian collaborator and occupied Zaporizhia administrator Vladimir Rogov reported a, quote, "...loud extensive explosion in Melitopol. initially claiming it was air defense. Later, he stated that Russian forces had shot down a drone. Confirming our prior assessment that the easiest way to determine if Rogov is lying is to see if his lips are moving, the Russian occupation authorities in Melitopol, reported several drones had struck the city. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykoliv, and Odessa region, there was no report from Operational Command South, or OKS, on the status of the Black Sea fleet, but insurgents in occupied Crimea photographed the submarine Varsha leaving Sevastopol, capable of firing up to four-caliber cruise missiles. Local social media reported a significant explosion near Klinichki in occupied Crimea. The blast was at an ammunition depot and logistics node on the E-97 Highway G-lock that connects the Crimea Bridge to Simferopol. In western and central Ukraine, in Kherson, while there has been a significant reduction in the number of fire missions Russian forces are executing on free Ukraine, the targets have been egregious. Mortars landed in the city park, killing a civilian out for a walk who couldn't find shelter. The Russian VKS launched a Fab 500 SE glide bomb at the school, destroying the building next to a church. Classes are not being held in the building due to the constant bombing and shelling, but the deputy director of economics was killed and a security guard was critically injured. Incredibly, or maybe not so incredibly anymore, the Russians documented the execution of a war crime from the east bank of the Dnipro and shared the video on social media. Gauleiter Vladimir Saldo announced that Victory Day festivities in occupied Kherson were canceled for security reasons and out of concern that a Ukrainian counteroffensive was imminent. In north and northeast Ukraine at Chernobyl, the site staff is required to live on site in two-week shifts due to the war and must travel to Slavyutych during staff rotations. The city was built after the 1986 nuclear disaster and the abandonment of Pripyat. The bridge across the Uz River was damaged during fighting in March 2022, and the temporary bridge is underwater due to spring flooding. However, the planned staff rotation on April 8 occurred despite the challenges. Chernobyl staff must pass through Belarus to reach Slavyutych, with Belarusian officials cooperating with the United Nations, IAEA, and the Kyiv government. And that's it for part one. Join me for part two as soon as I finish it. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.